We are always so happy when Karen is back with us. This week we have a double treat, her husband Ezra. Father, we uh, stand right here. We are so blessed to have them with us today, and uh, we know that their word is the word that you have asked to be delivered to us, and you will speak through them to give us a timely message that will touch all of us. And we are so blessed to have them here, and we are just thankful, and we lift them up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, that was uh, nice and loud. That sounded amazing. Sorry, I'm going to get situated. Sorry, here we go. All right. So the last time I got to speak with Ezra, um, we actually speak regularly because we're we're youth pastors, but uh, the last time we actually spoke together was a while ago. We used to work with an organization um, in Northern California. They've replanted somewhere else, but... Um, it's an organization that rescues young girls from sex trafficking. And so we had the awesome opportunity to go up there and visit um, our friends there and um, speak with the girls and put on a church service for them because they don't get that too often. And um, that was maybe two years ago. So we haven't spoken together for a while. So um, Before that was the first time I spoke at New Hope. Yeah, actually the first time we spoke together was with you guys when you were in Brentwood. Um, which we loved. We like spe- we like each other. So, <laughs> um, Even if you weren't here, we like speaking together. So. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, so um, this week I asked Ezra, I was like, hey, do you want to speak with me? Because we haven't done that for a while. And, you know, here we are. Um, it might have been a few arguments to, to get here in a couple of whiteboard situations. <laughs> but, but here we are. Um, completely unrelated to the message, of course. I guess that's what happens when you live with somebody, right? Um, I wanted to share with you guys a little bit about my journey to getting to know who Jesus was. Um, I didn't grow up going to church, and I didn't have any kind of background in Scripture or any knowledge of what the Bible says. Um, but when I was in high school, um, I, kind of, I think I've always kind of had like a seeker's heart, where I always just wanted to know, um, or maybe I'm just a really curious person. But um, my junior year in high school, I went through a really kind of tumultuous situation. Um, I had a history of, mm, I don't know, what would it, I was kind of a chronic liar. I would just lie about everything um, to my parents. And uh, I don't know, I felt like my parents were hard to deal with. Probably every kid feels like their parents are hard to deal with. Um, so I just would lie and make my life easier until I learned that that is not the easier thing to do. Um, what ended up happening was um, I was dating a guy at the time who was actually really kind of abusive um, emotionally, and he became physically abusive as well. And I lied to my parents about where I was, who I was with, and um, uh, he ended up hurting me really bad. Um, but I never, I never told my parents because I was really ashamed of the, the lying, and I was ashamed of being somewhere that I wasn't supposed to be, and I felt really guilty about, um, you know, I just didn't feel like I could ask for help because I put myself in this situation. Um, So I kind of started isolating myself from my friends. Um, Eventually, I found the courage to break up with this guy and um, separated myself from him, but a lot of my friends sort of noticed that something was going on, and they would reach out to me, and 
I didn't really share much. I never told my parents. Um, eventually, I told my mom, like, many years later. Uh, but during that time when I was kind of isolating and, um, I don't know, in a really kind of lost and, and hurt space, uh, I was... I turned back to that, like, seeking nature that I have, and I wanted to figure out who, who is God, if there is a God. And ever since I was a little girl, I always kind of thought, if there is a such thing as a God, I didn't think that he would want to be hidden from the people he created. I just, that didn't make sense to me. So if there's a God, which also doesn't make sense, but if there is a God, I don't think that he'd want to not be known. So I started seeking. I started going to different churches, Um, And eventually I started working at this t-shirt shop when I was uh, 16, almost 17. I started working at a t-shirt shop in Antioch. Uh, Maybe those of us that have been around here a long time might be familiar with Shirtique. Um, It was a custom place. And uh, this guy comes in and um, was picking up some t-shirts because he was going to airbrush them for a preschool at the high school. And that guy was Ezra. Screen printing at the time. Oh, screen printing at that time. My bad. Uh, airbrushing was later. But I found out, actually, when he came to pick up those T-shirts, that he was an airbrush artist. And um, I told him that our airbrush artist uh, was in jail. And we, <laughs> we needed a new airbrush artist. Good artists um, are hard to find. <laughs> so uh, I got his card, and I went to my boss and said, hey, this guy does airbrushing. Hire him. Like, can we please hire this guy, please? So um, Ezra started working at the t-shirt shop as the airbrush artist, and we just became really good friends. We, we started talking a lot, became good friends, um, spent a lot of time together. I started asking some really big questions about who God was. I knew um, that he was from a big family. I knew that he had some Christian roots, so I just had a lot of curiosity, and I started asking a lot of questions. How many of you guys here remember the day and the time, or just the day and the moment that you became a Christian? Does anybody have like a life-changing moment where you're like, I can tell you when I became a Christian. I didn't have that moment. It was a process. It was like a very kind of slow process for me because I didn't want to just jump into something because I was in like a really awful emotional state. So I didn't want to just make an emotional decision because it had to make sense to me. You know, whoever this God was needed to make sense. So I was asking a lot of questions, and one of the greatest things was Ezra told me when I would ask some really like really tough tough deep questions is it one of the best witnesses was that he said I don't know the answer to that and I felt like a lot of other churches and a lot of other places a lot of other people I met felt like they had to have an answer for everything and they did this is the answer for that it's like formulaic and I didn't run into that with him he was a person who you know was going through life like I was um, maybe not on the same path I was on but um, he would say, I don't know. Let me look into that. Let me, let me read some, some Bible verses. Let me talk to somebody, and, and I'll get back to you. And he would. He would come back and say, hey, that thing we were talking about, you know, this is, this is what I was thinking, and yada, yada, yada. And we'd have these great conversations. And through the process, over time, um, I became a Christian. I gave my heart to Jesus, and it was life-changing. And the thing I look back on is I wish that didn't take some stupid, stupid decisions on my part to get there. But that's kind of what brought me to a more vulnerable space to really hear and listen. Um, I hate that I'm that stubborn, but I am. So, um, but that's kind of the the path I went down to come to know Jesus. And when I did accept Christ, again, it wasn't with the background and knowledge of what the Bible said through and through and any Sunday school songs and, 
and that kind of stuff. So um, that's kind of how I got there. Ezra's story, his path is, is different than mine. And I grew up, my parents, they accepted Christ when they were in their teens. So they were super excited about Jesus at that time. They, they got married. They wanted to have a huge family. And, um, but, they, but they knew that they didn't have it modeled for them how to be Christian parents. You know, they, they had broken homes. And so, so they leaned heavily on the community of the church to say, like, hey, you have, you have godly kids. How did you do parenting? And so they leaned very heavily. And so I, I was raised going to church from Sunday school and learning the songs and all that kind of stuff. And so my whole community was in the church. My closest friends were in the church whenever it was like, can I stay the night at this friend's house? It was someone that I knew from church. And, um, and so church was, was my life, was my community. And, um, and by the time that I went to, you know, uh, to like, you know, public, public school and, and high school and all that kind of stuff, I was, I had a pretty firm foundation in, in what I believed, who I was, how to deal with temptations and stuff like that. Um, and although I didn't deal with those things perfectly, I, I had a, a template or a, a path to follow um, because of all that um, deep training. And there was a time when I, was, when I was about 13 years old when I just stopped and I thought, wait, do I believe all this stuff just because it was modeled for me and because that's what my, I knew my parents said? Or do I believe it because I really think it's true? I start, you start to kind of wonder, like, if I was raised in a different household, would I just be just as, you know, um, adhering to another religion? And so I kind of had that sort of, oh, wait, like, do I really believe this for me sort of a thing? And... Um, and I, and I dug in to the scriptures for myself, and I really thought about it and, um, and made my faith my own through a, through a, um, a series of sort of, I'm going to try this out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible on my own. I'm not going to just, whenever the, the pastor or the youth pastor says, oh, you know, read this passage, if that's the only time I'm reading the Bible, then I'm not really hungry enough to really be alive. And so, um, so I'd start to read on my own and, um, and have questions that I could show up to church and ask the pastor or, or other, other adults that are mature, you know, what about this? And that would always, you know, <laughs> brighten their day too. And like, oh, wow, someone's actually asking, you know, a question. Or you remember what we said, what we talked about last week. It's uh, very encouraging someone's uh, speaking to know that you're listening. Um, and so I just was um, kind of renewed in that. And I, and I, and I had a, a confidence in knowing who I was, where I was going, even though the earliest decision that I can call back to. I don't know the date of the time, but I remember I was about five years old and it was after, you know, children's church or something in the kitchen and I was, I, I came up with the, the conclusion for, through what I knew about the Bible that I knew that my mom and my dad were going to heaven, that they'd made a decision to follow Christ. But I don't remember ever making that decision myself. So as a five-year-old, I was like, I want to go where my mommy and my daddy are going. And so I asked my dad to pray with me, and we prayed in the kitchen, on a little kitchen stool, and, um, and that's just as valid as someone who's making a decision in their 30s, 40s, or later. Um, and that's all we need. We don't need to have the, a whole understanding of the breadth and the depth of everything that's in the Bible to, to act on it. And later in life, you know, I've found that even though I have a you know, later on, I'm like, well, it's not just about getting to heaven. It's also about bringing heaven to the earth in our, in our lives right now. We're not just waiting to die for, for the payout, you know. And so, 
And then as I mature a little bit further, I, I, I kind of get back to that place where it says, I want to be where my daddy is, and that daddy is in heaven. You know, you know my heavenly father is... So you kind of come back to that, you know, learning, you know, from the mind of a child. Let's read a scripture together. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So Ezra and I have different backgrounds on how we came to know, to know Jesus. Um, I made some very harmful decisions, and um, those harmful decisions had some damaging consequences. Um, I made a decision at a young age to follow Jesus, and more or less stuck with it. No big veering off the path. Uh, can anybody, is there anybody here that would maybe relate to the path that I took to come to know Jesus? And then what about, is there anybody here that maybe relates more to Ezra's path? All right. So many years ago, oh, we've been doing youth ministry for how many years? Like 20 or so, 20 yeah. plus. Yeah, yeah, many uh, generations of teens have passed through. And, um, and we had a student in youth ministry uh, who uh, was feeling like she didn't have much to contribute as far as sharing the gospel. She heard a lot of people kind of share their testimonies, dramatic things happening in church. And she's like, I don't, I, I don't feel confident talking to my friends about Jesus because I don't have a strong testimony. She grew up in church. She had a consistent desire to do the right thing. And um, she just thought, I don't, I don't have a testimony. So her idea that she didn't have a testimony, it broke my heart. It made me so sad to hear this girl say, I, I don't know how to share with Jesus with my friends because I don't have a testimony. Her picture of a testimony um, was this idea that, of like the prodigal son, you know, because she heard in church people would share like the events of their life and the things that had happened and they, they were led astray and they did all these things and then they had this like come to Jesus moment and that's all she had heard. Or people who you know, like me, didn't really grow up going to church and then, you know, made awful choices and were in this very vulnerable space and then all of a sudden realized there's more than, there's more than this. And that's what she thought having a testimony looked like. And it just made me so sad that, um, that, that she didn't think that her story was a story worth sharing or that it was uh, a testimony at all. Um, when I was a young mom... Um, I had a lot of, you know, when, when you have your baby and you're looking at them and you're like, oh, they're so precious. And, you know, at one point when we had our first son and um, I remember him like laying in our bed between us and Ezra and I were just staring at him, just staring. And I was like, I don't understand why people even have TVs. Like when you have a baby, you just stare at your baby for hours and hours. They're, they're so fascinating. Yeah. Just, you know, everything that he did was amazing. Um, but I also... Um, I was a worrier, am, am a worrier, and um, I, got, I had a lot of fears about what our kids might experience in their lives that would lead them to Jesus. You know, would they be the prodigal son? Would they stray away? And would they make horrible, horrible choices and look at us and be like, I need to experience life on my own? You've heard stories about pastor's kids. Like, 
that can be really upsetting. You know, it's like the teacher's kids and the pastor's I'm a teacher and a pastor. Like, oh, man, like double whammy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, um, Plus, we've seen a lot of that demonstrated in the youth ministry. We see so many kids start off on the right foot and then kind of tumble away. And we're like, oh, no, what happened? And not until they're, you know, late 30s, they're like, hey, let's check out church again. Yeah. And other people never do. And it's, it's really heartbreaking. It's a lot of roller coaster to go through. Yeah, and I, so, you know, as a, as a new young mom, I was really worried about what kind of path our, our kids would take to come to know Jesus. And um, when talking to this young girl in um, our youth ministry, um, one of the things that I wanted her to know and that was really precious to me was knowing that there were stories like hers and stories like Ezra's, that as I'm raising these, these fragile humans um, that, that their heart are in the hands of the Lord and that whatever path we go through, he can pull us through it. Um, but at the same time, it was just very comforting to know it does not have to be catastrophic, that somebody can make a choice at five years old on a stool in their kitchen with their daddy for their other daddy forever. And that brought me so much comfort. And so telling this girl, like, your, your story is a testimony. Um, not all paths have to be paved with, with destruction, and um, even if poor choices are made or you're the victim of somebody else's sin, uh, God still sees value in us um, so much that he gave his life for us. Every testimony is important. Every encounter that we have with God is significant. So don't discount yourself because your story doesn't fit into what you've heard other people say. In many ways, the reason that it doesn't fit means that your testimony could could unlock the heart of someone else who hasn't been reached by a more common you know, type of testimony. And it's interesting, too, because you hear on kind of both sides of the fence, you hear um, people who've grown up going to church feel like, oh, I don't have much to share. You know, it's, it's just status quo, you know, day in, day out. And then you hear other people that say, I, I don't feel like I should share my testimony because it, it's just full of, like, embarrassing moments of shock and horror. Um, but, or I don't want my kids to know the kind of stuff that I was in because I'm ashamed they might think I need to try that for myself. Yeah, but like Ezra said, every testimony is important. And, and as unique as your story is, like he said, I love that you said, it may be the key that unlocks um, certain hearts that, that need to hear that. Um, when we read through the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, those books are accounts of uh, what was experienced while Jesus was alive. Those are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's accounts of what actually happened. And um, Paul, he had a scholarly biblical background, but his passion came from a personal encounter he had with Jesus. And he wrote letters to many, many churches that were filled with encouragement and correction. Um, when I was a new Christian, I had this idea that I needed to have a broad knowledge and background of scripture in order to share about God. I needed to be able to quote um, the disciples and know all of their stories before I could effectively share um, in my new found excited relationship with God, um, at that time I was about 16, 17, um, I was eager to share the gospel, but I struggled with how. And one of the best pieces of advice, I've probably shared it here before, that I ever got uh, came from Ezra. And he told me that sometimes the greatest witness, it isn't saying anything at all. Um, some of us struggle with that. So sometimes the greatest witness, it's not the words. It's not saying anything. It's living in a way that pleases God. 
and other people see the way that you're living out your heart, um, your new relationships, um, that refreshing new spirit that comes alive inside of you, the, the way that you're approaching life becomes a witness, and sometimes it doesn't take words. Uh, God can give us words to speak sometimes, but he can also call us to be silent. Some of us naturally have an inclination where God's calling us to be silent, and others of us have an inclination where God's prompting us to speak up. So reading the Bible is important. Knowing what is written and seeking relationships that build character are vital to our spiritual health. We are members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. He joins this building together with many different materials, many different you know, stones. We're not all the same thing. We're not a Lego building. You know, we have lots of um, things. And he joins this building together, and when you decide to become a member of God's household, you are a part of it. Knowing the stories of the people that came before us builds a very strong foundation. But it doesn't stop there. We share the same cornerstone that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, the people of the past, um, Abraham. We have the same cornerstone, and that's uh, Jesus. And our story, the way that we came to know Jesus, is an important, modern-day, relatable account of how God is still moving today. The ways that God, the God of all creation, then and now moves in your life, the ways he has grown you, changed you, comforted you, spoken to you, your story, that is good news. In our day and age, we have been conditioned to be skeptical. Scammers call our phones, text us all the time, try to trick us into following what they want us to do. Marketers blow out of proportion the, the value of the products they're trying to get us to buy. And it, it makes sense that we're conditioned to be skeptical and say, wait, hold on, that sounds too good to be true. Um, but rather than just dismissing the, the scripture when we're presented with that, if you, if you haven't been raised with all of this, you're going to put this in the same box as you do the, the people who leave glossy flyers on your door. You're going to be like, oh, those, those religious people. And we have to know that, if, even if we were raised in the church, that not everybody has that sort of warm feeling of trust that we've raised, been raised with. So we can't just think like, oh, if I just quote a Bible verse, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, I can trust that. No, they're going to be like, yeah, yeah, you and your, your uh, book of fables. This is how they might look at it. Yeah, there, because of this, there are people that are skeptical about what the Bible says, especially in our culture. I mean, how many of us have gotten a call just this week about our car's extended warranty? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and because of this, that skepticism, um, we, people may not relate to what is written in the Bible. It's not, it maybe won't make sense to them. Or like he said, they're going to see it as a book of fables. You know, it'd be like if I came to you and, and told you, oh, I just read this book about... Um, uh, a little lion that was caught in a, in a, what's it called? Have you ever heard the story about the lion that gets caught in the net and a mouse comes and says, I can help you? And the mouse is like, no, if I help you, you're going to eat me. And the lion's like, no, I won't eat you. If I told you this is a true story, this actually happened. This lion got caught up in a net. And this little mouse was having a conversation with him. It's true, you guys. You'd be looking at me like, Karen? No. It does not have, like, the lion didn't talk and the mouse didn't talk. That did not happen. And a lot of people, when you say, like, this man came to earth and he was God and he died, but wait, he rose from the dead. People are going to look at you like, uh, okay. You know, so, because it is, I mean, 
We've accepted this as truth, and we know it's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle, but that is outside the realm of what is normal and possible on earth without godly intervention, right? So people, people might look at you with skepticism, and it's not unreasonable for somebody to be a skeptic, but when you come at, and, and you want to share a Bible verse with them, when they're unfamiliar with the Bible, or they maybe don't even believe it's true, then that Bible verse means nothing. It means nothing. You might as well be telling them that a lion got caught in a net with a mouse chewing its way out, or I don't know. Um, so it's hard for people to, who don't believe in the Bible to understand what is written. We're more likely to believe what we hear from people we already know and trust, our friends, family. Um, even when we are given opportunities to share with strangers, your story is your story. You are the most qualified person to tell others about your life and experiences, even your experiences with God. God made us in his image, and he's a relational God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are relational people because we're made in that image. Jesus taught his disciples relationally by living his life together with them and ministering together. We are living now. God is relevant now. Your story is now. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, you are a modern disciple. Your life is a testimony of who God is. Um, your story might be more accessible to people in your culture and your community. Um, I can't think of the last time that I met someone who was a professional tax collector or a full-time fisherman. Um, but I know teachers, and I know pastors, and I know moms. And I know fitness instructors, I know firefighters, I know police officers, um, there's authors, like, there's so many professions of people that I know, very few of them are professional fishermen or tax collectors, um, like some of the disciples were. Um, so, so hearing a story from one of us who are living right now and experiencing the living God who's still moving today, um, it's, it's more accessible to the people that are doing life in the same neighborhoods, the same schools and workplaces. You're going to be somebody that's more relatable, and you can share your story to draw them closer to Scripture. So what do you do with this information that we're sharing with you this morning? When you choose Jesus, you become part of his holy temple. It's designed and built to rise together, as we read um, this morning. You are a dwelling place for God's Holy Spirit. Your experience in life is meant to be shared. 1 Peter 3.15 says, this is one of, one of my favorite um, verses, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We don't have to have all the answers to all the deep questions that someone might come up to us about. But if you're going to be ready with one answer, give them a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus. You know, if I, if I come up to someone, I say, oh, I got a real zinger for you. I, you know, I think that I found a, an impossible question to answer for one of you Jesus followers. Um, I think you get a pass <laughs> if you don't have the answer articulated in a way that's going to satisfy them. Some of those are Like I said, that was actually something that was really helpful to me, to see the humanity in, in somebody who followed Jesus. You didn't have to give me a cookie-cutter answer that felt so fake to me. Um, other people may respond differently, right? But for me, I, I wanted to know that somebody was thinking about it, and you can see a different perspective, and as we walk through life, we might even see it differently 
years later. Um, but knowing that, that I wasn't going to get a cookie cutter answer or just some like stock uh, formulaic, this is how you respond to this. You know, we don't have to have the answers to, to everything. If you had a false god or an idol, you could encapsulate it on a note card, everything that, that was encapsulated in that god. But because we follow the god, the author of the universe, the vast things that scientists are spending their whole lives trying to explore how it even works, um, we're not going to have all the answers. It's not going to fit on a flip chart to be able to answer. And so because of that, we need to get on our knees and pray to God for things, and we need to seek. And that's because God is relational. He wants us to come to him. He doesn't want to give us the whole unabridged everything. Even the Bible itself is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, Paul says it himself in one of the scriptures, which I don't have on the tip of my head, of my brain, um, that if we were to list all of the miracles that Jesus performed, it wouldn't be able to be filled with all the volumes that we could fit. So, so yeah, have that answer ready of why you have hope in Jesus. If you don't have it ready to articulate now, um, pray about it. Ask God, like, what is, what is the, how, how can I really encapsulate that? Someone who doesn't even have a lot of time, like, how would I say something that would make them think beyond our interaction? So let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that you gave us your scripture. You gave us, you sent us your Holy Spirit, that you sent us your Son, you're so loving. You are all about redemption of our lives. There's no one that is a lost cause because you're still alive. And Lord, I thank you that you're still speaking through your interactions with us and our testimonies that are still being written every day. Help us not to discount our story as being irrelevant or unhelpful. As long as there's people breathing air that you give them to breathe, um, there, are, there are more people that can be changed by your story through us. Thank you so much uh, for working in us, for um, the privilege of being a conduit of your love, of your knowledge, of your providence. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 All right, you guys, so you know what your job is, right? Yes. Yes? You're going to share your story. So as we leave here this morning, may you feel the warmth and the blessings of God's provision and his guidance as he leads you to encounters with others who need to hear the good news and let your story be the good news to the world around us. Amen. Amen. Amen.